Um, if you've got a Bible, would you like to turn it to Psalm 142? If you haven't got a Bible, then raise your hand and one will be brought to you, hopefully, very swiftly. I want to start this morning by um, asking a question. And this is the question. Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt like the circumstances in your life are preventing you from moving forward? Have you ever been in a place where life just seems out of control and you can do nothing about it? Have you ever felt like snares are all around and you can't see a way through? Have you felt like your freedom has been taken away? Now, for some of us here, the answer to that question is actually right now I'm in that position. For some of us, we may have experienced that and come through it. But the one thing I think I can guarantee is that at some point in life, we will face those kind of situations and those kind of circumstances where we would say that we are trapped, maybe not physically, but maybe perhaps financially or emotionally or even spiritually. There's a sense of being restricted in what we can do, a lack of freedom, a lack of ability to move in to what we think God has really got for us, the best that he has for us. As we look at this psalm, this is a psalm of David, and it's a psalm from a cave. And David's physical circumstances are not, it's not just that he's in a cave that means he's trapped. But it's also because of the circumstances that surround his life. At this point in time, he is anointed to be king, but he's not yet king. He's the king in waiting. And the current king doesn't want David to be king. So King Saul is trying to kill David. I don't know whether you've been in that position in your life before. I would count that as being fairly trapped and that his freedom has been somewhat restricted. That's the situation David's in. He has no freedom. He's running for his life. He's hiding in caves. He can't escape. So how does he handle that? Well, we're going to go through the psalm together and look at how David handles that situation so that we can learn how to handle those situations for us now or if we face them in future. So I'm just going to read Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. But I cry to you, O Lord. I say you. You are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry from in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This is how David handles it. And the first thing he does is fairly obvious and fairly simple. And it's something that we would agree is a good thing to do. And what is that? He's facing a difficult situation. He goes to God. He goes to God. 
And we all go, I think we all agree that's a good thing to do. It's not a complicated idea. It's fairly simple. I think we can probably agree with that together. That is probably the best thing to do in a difficult situation. But I'd like to suggest that sometimes, in subtle ways, perhaps we don't quite do that. David cries aloud to the Lord. And he comes to the Lord for mercy and voices his complaint before the Lord. That's where he's seeking his security. That's where he's seeking his comfort. That's where he's seeking his rescue. That's where he's going to. But perhaps, maybe, we seek our security and our comfort and our rescue from other places. Let me suggest a few. Let's start with social media. For Facebook, for if you're not familiar with Facebook, and there will be people here who aren't familiar with Facebook, Facebook means you put what you're thinking and feeling into a computer, and all your friends in the whole world know about it. That's kind of the deal. And I would suggest that perhaps this psalm, if it was written in this day and age, might read a little bit differently. It might say, I cry aloud to the internet. I lift up my voice to Facebook for mercy. I pour out my complaint before all of my friends. Before them, I tell my trouble. Now, I'm being, I'm being slightly controversial. I'm not saying that updating your status on Facebook is wrong. What I'm saying is that, is your knee-jerk reaction when you face trouble, when life is difficult, to go, let's tell my friends on Facebook? Or is it, let's tell my Heavenly Father? Is your comfort coming primarily from your friends on Facebook or from your Heavenly Father? How about people in our lives, physical people rather than cyber people? How about core group leaders? How about elders? Is your knee-jerk reaction when facing a difficulty, when you're trapped, when life is hard, do you immediately get on the phone and speak to your core group leader or phone an elder and say, you must come and sort me out? Now again, of course, I'm not saying that is wrong. But I think... We miss out if we don't first come to God with our complaints. If we don't come to him for security and comfort. Sometimes we can use people to be God for us. It doesn't matter how good the elders are, how amazing they preach and how wise they are, they will not be able to solve every single problem for us. That's God's job. That's not their job. Now, of course, they help. Wonderfully helpful. It's the same with corporate leaders. And it's also the same with spouses. I would suggest that sometimes, husbands and wives, perhaps we go to our husband or to our wife when firstly we should be going to God. Maybe we're asking them to be God for us. Maybe we're asking them to be totally perfect and provide a way out to a situation, to provide rescue, when of course they can't do it. Our spouses, our partners are there for comfort. Elders, corporate leaders bring some comfort and some security. But they can never bring the comfort and security that God brings. They can never provide the rescue that God brings from circumstances that are out of our control. Children. If you're a child, if you consider yourself a child, would you like to raise your hand? Child, not childish, James. (laughs) Just because, children, just because your parents love Jesus, just because they read the Bible with you and help you understand the things of God, just because they love the church and bring you along to meetings and bring you to kids' core, 
doesn't mean that you're trusting in God. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Now, it's really important that your parents do do those things. And it's really important that you talk to them about God and ask them to help you to understand. The most important thing is that you come to him yourself. So that when you've had a tough day at school and some of your friends have been a bit horrible to you, you can't talk to your mum or dad until you get home. But at school, you can talk to God. At school, he can help you when you feel trapped or when people have been horrible to you. He can, he can be your source of help. Sorry. Um, let's move on to things that perhaps seem less significant and in fact are perhaps aren't as much as God's provision for our security and comfort in our lives because of course parents should be that for their children as well. Let me introduce you to something that someone gave to my wife recently. This says on here, emergency chocolate. For the immediate relief of chocolate cravings, love sickness, exam pressure, and extreme hunger. Um, God is a source of all comfort. Chocolate brings some comfort. But, of course... Of course, we don't, I mean, we laugh at that. But actually, there was a serious challenge there for us that when we're struggling, do we turn to things like, just need a little bit of chocolate. I need a beer, actually, a glass of wine. I just need to relax. I need to kick back because actually life's really stressful. Or maybe, oh, I need to switch that TV on because I need to totally unwind. Or maybe, kind of in some sort of bizarre way, you get work harder because life is so difficult. You give yourself to something like work and you're working longer hours. We can't go to those things as our source of comfort. We can't expect them to give us the security or the rescue or the escape that God and God alone can bring. So yes, we laugh at emergency chocolate, but make sure that you have a God that you go to in emergencies. Make sure you come to him. We want to make sure we're people, when we face difficult circumstances, our primary response is to go to the God of all comfort, to the God who alone can provide the rescue from all situations. If we don't, if we choose other things, if we choose other people, if we choose other situations, other people in life that God has blessed us with, and yes, we should seek and involve in our lives, if we go to them first of our, as our primary source of comfort, we're missing out on deepening our relationship with God. If you read the Psalms, you, you see David, his son has an authentic relationship with God. Why? Because when he faced difficult circumstances, to God I go. To him I voice my complaint. Let us be those who make the same resolve, those who choose to do the same thing, to go to God first, not our wives, not even our elders, and definitely not chocolate. Let's go to God first. That's what David does. And then before he says, God, rescue me, God, me set me free from this prison, he does something else, first of all. And there's something else is this. He reminds himself of two things. He reminds himself of the facts of the situation. He doesn't want to pull the wool over his own eyes, nor God's eyes. He wants to remind God and himself of the facts, but he also reminds himself of the truth. He draws some comfort from that too. So we're just going to walk through a few verses and see what those facts are and what those truths are. So verse 3, it says, When my spirit grows faint within me, 
It's you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Life will have snares. Life will have traps. Life will have things that trip us up. God never promises a snare-free life. David sees this and knows this very intimately at this point in his life because people are specifically chasing him down to kill him. He knows he's facing a difficult situation. He knows their snares. He said that's the reality of life. But what does he do about it? He reminds himself of this truth. God knows the way through. Louise Lee one read from Psalm 139. And I'm just going to read a slightly different version of Psalm 139. This is a, a little book that um, my girls have called Always Near Me, which is a, um, a version of Psalm 139, which is written for a, slightly, a level slightly lower than perhaps the NIV version is. But the reason I want to read from this is because the depth of truth is still there. The significance is still there, and yet the language is very simple. And I want us to get hold of this truth that David grabs hold of and gives him comfort. Because I want us to get comfort from knowing God knows the way through. So I'm just going to read this. Jesus, you know me so well. You see my heart. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts before I think them. Before I get to where I'm going, you know where I end up. Just like the wind, you're all around me. And this is very hard to understand. Where can I hide from you? If I journey into space, you're there. If I sink to the bottom of the sea, you'll find me there too. It's because you're everywhere. Not even the darkness can hide me. To you, daytime and nighttime are just the same. You made every part of me and watched as I grew in my mummy's tummy. Before the world was made, you decided how I would look. I'm made in a wonderful and amazing way. And I jump for joy because of what you have done. You will always watch over me. Every day I live is written in your book. Psalm 139, in a slightly more simple form, with great truths. He knows the path that we're on. And uh, there's a particular picture in, in the book against the, um, the bit. I think I'm going to get it up on the screen, actually. It says, before I get to where I'm going, you know where I'll end up. And so the picture here is quite interesting, isn't it? It's like it's blind man's buff at a children's party. And what struck me about this, um, it was that he's enjoying it. Now, when life circumstances, we can't see through them, I don't think we enjoy it as much. And there are some children that don't enjoy having scarves around their faces and won't play that game. Why is that? We want to know where we're going. We want to know the end point. We want to be in control. But David doesn't say, I want to know. I want to know. He says, you know. And that's his comfort. And that's what he draws from because he trusts a good God. And he knows that God knows the end. And that's where he draws his comfort from. Verse 4. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I say to you, O Lord, I, say, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. No one is around to help him. David is totally lonely. 
He's very happy to declare that fact. And he says this, he says, I have no refuge, but God is my refuge. If you look at the um, original Hebrew words, they're actually just slightly different. It's refuge and refuge. But actually the first refuge is saying, David is saying, I can't find a way out. I, I face this situation in my life. I can't see an exit point. I can't see how on earth I'm going to get through all these snares. But then he says, you are my refuge. And that refuge talks about a place. It doesn't say the situation disappears, but in the midst of it, there is a place of refuge. David is saying, God is my place of refuge. So I can't see a way out, but I know God is my refuge. I can't see how I'm going to get out of here, but God is my secure place, my safety. Sometimes in life, we need to make sure that we're seeking the person more than a solution to the problem. We need to make sure that we're seeking relationship with God ahead of resolution of the issue that we face. Often, we're looking for a way out. But David says here, even if there's not a way out, there's the way, the truth, and the life. And that's where he goes. And of course, in certain situations and circumstances, we need to know that's true. Even if we can't see a way out, even if we don't find a way out, there is a refuge. There's relationship. There's God. We can go to him. Of course, that's how we came to know God. You see, as I look at it, other religions seem to say they found a way out of our sinfulness or our problems They've found a way out to get to nirvana or to get to heaven. It says you follow these steps, you do these things, there's a route through. But Christianity says something completely different. It says, you can't find a way through. Ephesians 2 says this, you are dead in your sins. It goes on to say that just by being you, you welcomed and attracted the wrath of God. And that's no small thing. Due to the nature of our sin and our naughtiness, we attracted the wrath and anger and punishment of God. And there is no way out. If you're dead, you're dead. You can't make yourself alive again. There's no way out. But he goes on to say, but because of God's great love for us, we've been made alive in Christ. What happens there? We come to the way and the truth and the life. We receive his righteousness, his goodness. He makes us alive. He brings us into relationship with God. There's not a way out. We can work, we can't work our way into God's presence. We can never make ourselves good enough for God. But Jesus, by dying on the cross, by taking our punishment and God's wrath that should have been ours, he brings us into relationship with the Father. Let's not just seek a way out. Let's seek the way as well. And in verse 5, I've read it already, it says, says, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David's got an eye on eternity. His portion is God. He really owns it. 
He's not saying there's a nebulous being somewhere that I might have some kind of relationship with at some point in time. He says, right now, in the land of the living, you are my portion. He's convinced about his relationship with God and the inheritance that blessing that comes from that. It's like he's almost read 2 Corinthians 4.17 already about light and momentary troubles that are earning for us a weight of glory. So David says, in this life, I'm going to face troubles and difficulties, but actually, they're just kind of light compared to the weight of glory we know in heaven, compared to the wonderful relationship I have with God. You are my portion in the land of living. No matter what we face in this life, no one can take this away from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take our relationship away from us with God. So David encourages himself with these things. God knows his way through, our way through. God is our refuge. When there's no way out, we've got the way. But God is also our portion. We have him now and we'll eternally be with him. And what we're facing now will seem like a traffic jam before a holiday. When you're on holiday, you forget about the traffic jam. You enjoy being on holiday. This life is faced with troubles and traffic jams in that sense. But eternity, the weight of glory we'll experience will make those things seem like light and momentary troubles. So having encouraged himself with the truth, and face the facts about his situation, what does he do? It's only then he begins to make his request. But before we look at what his request is specifically, I want to look at the reasons he gives for making those requests. Now, of course, the reason he makes is, I want to be set free from the prison. I want my circumstances to change. I can't deal with this anymore. It must change, please, God. But he adds a couple more reasons for it. He says this, Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Are you saying, David, that you, if you're trapped or circumstances in life are difficult, you can't praise God? Is that what you're saying? Let's turn to Psalm 34, which is also a psalm that David wrote. Psalm 34 says this, and this is David again, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted or the trapped or the ensnared or the hurting or those facing difficulty hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God is always worthy of praise. He deserves our honor because he is so wonderful and glorious. Let the afflicted hear. Let them come and glorify him. Situations and circumstances should not stop our hearts crying out worship to God. But they do. Or rather, David recognizes that the prisoner who is set free from prison will worship the person who has released them. David realizes that if he is released from his prison, then more praise will be released from him. The fact of the matter is, we will commit ourselves to worshiping God no matter what happens. We will glorify him because he's worthy of it. But when we experience breakthrough, when we experience salvation in friends and relatives, when we see freedom come, surely praise flows just that little bit more easily. Surely glory for God 
comes a bit more easily. So David's rationale, his thinking, his reasoning is this. God, I know you're worthy of praise. Help me to worship you even more. I want to worship you even more. Because at his heart, David is a worshipper. He's gone from being a sinner. Before we know God, at our hearts, we're a sinner. We're rebellious. We're pursuing our own means. When we come to know Jesus, it totally changes. Our heart is to worship God. David is a worshipper. and He longs to worship him even more. So he says, God, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. It's a legitimate reason to come to God and ask him to do something in your life. But he also says something else, which is a little bit more interesting. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Is David suddenly on an ego trip? Is David suddenly thinking, it's all about me. I want people to come to me. So God, can you change the situation? Because then I'll be famous, because I'll be so cool, because you're breaking into my life. And then everyone will gather around me, and it'll be wonderful, won't it? We've got to remember who David is and the situation he's at. He is the king in waiting. A king without a people is no king at all. A king without a righteous people is not a godly king. A king without an army is an unprotected king. So what David is saying here is not, come on people, I, wanna, I want lots of people to go with me. He's saying, God, would you please fulfill the purposes that you have for my life? You've spoken to me. Samuel came and anointed me with oil and said, you're going to be the next king. So it looks like it's not going to happen. Come and fulfill your purposes in my life. Come and fulfill your purposes in Israel. Come and fulfill your purposes in our church. Come and do what you said you will do. Come and bring the freedom that you promised, Lord. David's calling on God to be true to his word. He's standing on very solid ground indeed. But he makes sure that it's part of the reason why he comes to God. It's not just a selfish, I need to get out of the situation. It's I want to praise God. And I want to see your name glorified, but also I want to see your purposes fulfilled. David wants stories of release. He wants himself to be set free. So he may be able to say to people, God did this. Wouldn't it be great every week to emerge from the Jubilee Center and go meet friends or work colleagues on Monday and say, God did this this Sunday? I want to tell you a story about how he broke into this person's life. I want to tell you how he healed this person. And what's that going to achieve for us? It's going to raise our faith and our expectation. It's going to tantalize those who do not yet know him. We're going to tell stories about what he's done. And the righteous will gather about us. The unrighteous will gather about us. Let's pray and ask God to move in order that we might have more stories to tell to those who do not yet know him, that they might gather with us and come to know God. God is very concerned that he gets worshipped because he is totally and utterly deserving of it. We can come before him and say, God, set me free from this prison so I can praise your name and so that others may come and know you too. Two wonderful reasons, other than just needing to be set free. But David also says, set me free. He says, rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. We will face things in life 
that we cannot change. Situations that are stronger than us. Prisons that we cannot escape from and addictions that we cannot break. Fears that we can't get rid of. Persecution that can't be put aside. And pain that we cannot numb. We will face those things. David recognizes that he is helpless. They're just too strong for me, God. I can't get out of this prison. I'm sure many of us here can identify with that sense, with that feeling. I can't do anything about this, God. David is totally desperate. At the start of his ministry, Jesus read from Isaiah 61. We're going to go to Luke 4, which is where he, he reads out from the scroll. Luke 4 and verse 18. So uh, Jesus is starting off declaring what he's planning to do. Declaring is his mission statement, really. He's saying, this is what I'm here for. This is why I've come. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what Jesus came to do. His mission has not changed. In fact, Jesus has asked us to do the same things. That's our mission statement. That's what we're here to do. And so, like David, we will face situations and circumstances. And we'll say, I want a way out. But if there's not a way out, I'll go to you, God. You're my refuge. We'll comfort ourselves knowing that he knows the path that our life is going on. We'll come to him and know restoration. We'll come to him and know security and comfort. But I can't settle with just that. And yes, life is complex and the kingdom of God is coming, but not yet on his fullness. And so there are always questions and difficulties. But I refuse... To settle for prisoners. I refuse to settle for situations that should be changed for God's glory. And should be changed so people can come to God. I refuse to settle with being trapped. This is our mission statement. Our expectation should be that Jesus is still doing those things. So my prayer, my request... To us today is as we face difficult circumstances, as we feel like we're trapped, as we feel like circumstances are out of control, let's go to God. Of course, let's go to him. Let's not let anything get in the way of diluting our relationship with him. Let's not give permission to anything or anyone else to make our relationship with God more superficial. Let's come to him first and foremost. 
Let's draw comfort from truth. Let's draw comfort from the word. Let's know he's with us. But also let's seek the freedom that Jesus proclaimed he wanted to bring. Let's not settle. Yes, we expect snares, but let's not accept them. Let's push through. Let's come to God again. Let's come to him afresh and ask him to move in situations in our lives, to break us, break free, to set free those who are prisoners and to release the captives. That's my prayer for this morning. So we're going to worship in a second. And the band would like to come up. But firstly, I just want to pray. I'd appreciate if you join with me as I'm praying. I'm going to pray for us, but I want you to pray as well. I want you to have those words in your heart that Jesus declared was his mission. So we come to you, Lord. We're not coming to anyone else right now. We're not coming to anything else, Lord. We know our true security, our true comfort, and our only rescue can ever be in you. Thank you that we're those who have already heard the good news and been set free from the prison of sin that shrouded our lives. Thank you, Lord. You know the path on which we walk. You know when we've, our spirit has grown faint. You know when we're lonely. You know all those things, Lord Jesus. But we choose not to settle for them, Lord. We choose to remind ourselves of those words in Luke. And we say, Lord, we want the good news to be preached to the poor. We want freedom for the prisoners and we want the blind to see. Whether that be physically or spiritually, Lord, we want that. We want the oppressed to be released. And Lord, we want this to be the year of God's favor. We want this to be the day of God's favor. Lord, we want you to move. We want you to break in. So, Lord, we're going to worship you now. We're going to come to you. I want to see you break in into situations this morning.